Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. One of my heroes in faith is John Wesley. John Wesley was a man of meager upbringing. He had a lot of siblings, and his father was a pastor for the Church of England. And he was homeschooled by a mom who was extremely smart. She was probably the smartest person in England at the time to be able to deal with what she had to deal with. She was a spectacular woman. And like all great men, there are great women that are right there that that are really probably the greatest of the equation. And for John, it was his mom. And she was a huge influence on his life. And it was a great influence, not only in learning the basics of education, but also in learning faith. And not just surface faith, but deep faith. And John Wesley took that faith, and he went off, and he got a degree, and he became a fellow, and got a degree to become a minister, and then, and then went on to do postgraduate work and was a brilliant guy, was so smart that he became a teaching uh, fellow at Cambridge. Brilliant guy, doing great work, started small groups on the campus that they called holy clubs, done a lot of things, a lot of things in ministry. Huge, uh, huge impact with a small group of people. But there was something missing And John didn't realize what it was or didn't understand what it was. And so he kept searching. He knew that he was going through the motions, but there was just something not clicking. So he thought the answer was to become a missionary. So he left England and came to what is now Georgia to be a missionary to the Indians. He landed on St. Simon's Island, did some work there, went over to the mainland of Georgia, and was an abject failure was so bad that the governor of Georgia, posted from England, sent him home. Now, it may or may not have included some uh, issue with the, the governor's daughter. That's another story. So John failed. Complete failure. He came, was a failed missionary. Failed at connecting with not only the Indians, but with the locals that were from England that had moved to Georgia. He was an embarrassment. He was so bad that they sent him home on a ship. And in the middle of the storm, on his way back, he was on board with a group of Moravians. They were a faithful sect out of Germany. And they had been over doing missionary work. And they were all on the ship, and they hit a storm. And the storm was dreadful. It was biblical kind of storm. The boat was rocking. It felt, it felt like it was about to fall apart. It was creaking. There was something horrible about to happen. And in the middle of the storm, John Wesley loses his stuff, like is out of control worried and thinks he's going to die and is squealing like a little child in the corner. Maybe not that bad, but pretty close to that. And then he looks up and he notices that this group of Moravians is sitting together as calm as can be, holding hands and praying. And he watches them 
And he sees this sense of peace that he has never felt. He senses their connection to God that he's never had. For him, he was trying to be faithful, but it was all on his own. And he was trying to do the right thing and make, his, make the good decisions, but he was never really deeply connected in faith. He had learned about faith. He knew all the answers. He even had a degree from seminary saying that he knew all the answers. He knew Greek and Hebrew. The guy was brilliant. And yet he was missing this key piece, this deep connected faith. He had the information, but not the relationship. And it became very clear when he was this abject failure as a missionary, had failed in relationship, and then failed in his faith as he's crossing the ocean. And when he gets back to England, he's a miserable wreck. His life is in shambles. He is at his rock bottom, and he decides to go to a Bible study because that's what he was comfortable with. That's where he knew the answers would be. And so he joins the Bible study that the Moravians told him about, and he goes to this place on Aldersgate Street, and he comes and he enters in, and they start the Bible study, and they read a piece of Scripture, and bam, the Holy Spirit hits. Up until that point, he had tried to control his life. He had measured it out, and he had made every decision and taken every step that he thought was the proper step. Up until that point, he had been the one driving his life. He had been the one making the decisions. He had been the one that became a complete failure. He had hit rock bottom, and it took rock bottom before he was ready for the Holy Spirit bomb, for the thing that was going to change his life forever. Not only was it a key watershed event in his life, it was a key watershed event for all of Western history. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. That moment, his brokenness, and that moment where he strengthened himself in his relationship with the Lord changed everything. David had a similar moment. In fact, we looked at that moment last week, and it's how we ended our session last week. David had been off to fight a battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines said, we don't want you here because we're battling the Israelites, and we don't trust you, so they sent him home. When he gets home, he found out that while he was gone, the Amalekites, whom, by the way, he had been killing on the side and lying about it, the Amalekites had come because they had heard that all the men had gone off to fight the war. And so the Amalekites started raiding all the Philistines in all of the cities, and they were taking all the people and either killing them or taking them as prisoners slash slaves to sell. And they took all the spoils from all of these cities, this big band of Amalekites. Now, this is something we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Who were the Amalekites? Or let me ask it this way. Why were the Amalekites a problem? Okay, that's not apparently the good question. 
Who were the Amalekites? All right, so they were a group of people who, as the Israelites were settling the Holy Land, never were obedient to God to push them out. And so this group of Amalekites that were, that were adversaries to the Israelites had been living there and raiding and taking advantage of the Israelites because the Israelites had not pushed them out when they were told to. So Israel's disobedience is coming back to bite them again. And David in particular is feeling the sting of this because when he gets back to his village, everything is burned to the ground. All the goods and all the wealth and everything that they had had been taken away and the women and children were gone. Now at first... All of them thought that they had been killed, but there were no bodies. They didn't know what to do next. This was their low point, and it was the low point for David. Remember, David, he had left Israel, and he was trying to do his own thing, and he was making his own decisions, and he was trying to do the next right thing, the thing that he thought he should do, but he was doing it on his own and out of his own strength. And he was making his own decisions, and he painted himself into a corner and got himself in trouble that led to this situation. This was all of his own making. David had created a problem for himself. And it was at that point, at the very end, where his men were getting ready to kill him. Remember, they said, let's stone David. We're going to put him to death now because he is the reason why all this has happened. And in the middle of that, we're told that he strengthened himself in the Lord. It was the hinge point for David. This is one of the key moments in David's life. He had hit rock bottom, lost everything, and his men were about to kill him and desert him. But he strengthened himself in the Lord. And we pick up the story there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel 30. We're going to be looking at chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 7 through the end of the chapter. 1 Samuel 30. Now David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So let's stop there. Does anybody remember who Abiathar is? This is from some weeks ago. Yes. Yes, thanks, Peter. He was the only priest left after all the priests of his village and all the priests were killed under Saul. He was the lone getaway, and David saved him and brought him with him. And so he goes to this one lone priest. He had strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he turns to the religious leader, the only one left, and asks for his help. But not just his help, he says, bring me the ephod. Now, what do you, what, we've talked about this, what, what is the ephod? It's like a cloak or an apron that was made for the priest, particularly the high priest. And it had a breastplate that was made of metal and stones. And it had different symbols on it that represented the people of God and God's power. It was the priestly garb. And so he says, bring it out. And so 
Abiathar brings it out, and David prays. Why do you think, this is not rhetorical, why do you think he has him bring out the ephod to pray over it? Why would he bring that out? It's a holy vestment. Where was this holy vestment worn? Huh? In the temple at this time, it was a tabernacle. The temple had not been officially erected. This was a tabernacle slash temple. It was a tent. And they wore it to go into the Holy of Holies. This was the closest physical thing on earth to God. So he has him bring it in. Remember, this is not the time yet where the Holy Spirit has come. This is not the time after the Holy Spirit has come after Jesus' death. This is way before that. And so in the Jewish ideology, you had to have something or be in a physical place that was close to God. And so that's what this was. This was David's reaching out to God and trying to get as close to him as possible. And he brings this out, this piece of garment that had been in the presence of God on earth. And he inquires of the Lord. And he says, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he, he being Yahweh, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. And this is a mission from God. Now, this is different from Saul. Saul, who was the current king at the time, Saul, the one who's been trying to kill David, Saul, who is about to, well, we'll find out about that next week. Saul, who is currently in charge of Israel, who is all fighting a battle. When given the opportunity to inquire of the Lord, when he hits his rock bottom and he asks of the Lord and doesn't get an answer, he turned away from God to an idol. But David... When he hits rock bottom, he inquires of the Lord and he waits and he strengthens himself in the Lord before he asks of the Lord. He gives God time and space to show up and he gives God the opportunity to answer. Where Saul didn't, Saul was impatient. Saul wanted an answer now and I want you to tell me, God, what is my next step? He didn't strengthen himself in the Lord. He didn't wait on God to show up. He didn't wait on God to do anything. Saul wanted an immediate gratification and answer. Didn't get it, so he turns to an idol. But not David. David, when he hits rock bottom, he strengthens himself in the Lord and sits in it. He waits. He lets God do his work. And then he inquires. And he says, shall I pursue them? And shall I overtake them? And God clearly says to him, yes, to both. And so off they go with his 600 men. And they get to this river that separates, actually flows out to the Mediterranean, but it separates the parts of the land there. And it's a pretty deep river. It would have been a hard crossing at certain times of the year. And some of the men were so tired from the journey where they had come from being with the Philistines back down to their homeland and now traveling out to try to pursue these people. They get tired and 200 of them say, we can't go further. We can't ford this river and go any farther. We're just done. 
And so David leaves 200 men and takes 400 to pursue this group of Amalekites. And as they're going, they find this Egyptian wandering around in the desert. And they bring him and they say, they, they feed him and they strengthen him. And he said, I was sick, I was left behind. I'm a servant of a master who's a, who's a Malachite. And he left me because I was sick and I was hungry. And he just left me here to die. So David brings him in and feeds him, strengthens him. And then he asks him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, he being this Egyptian servant, swear to me by God... And God there is not Yahweh, it's the, it's the general term for God. Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. In other words, yeah, I'll show you where they are, but I don't want to go back and serve that guy, and I don't want you to kill me. So I'll show you if you just let me go and act like you don't know how you found them. <laughs> so he takes him down and they find the band. Verse 16. And behold, they were spread abroad over all the land. This means they were spread out, just kind of chilling. And they were eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So they were fat and happy and probably drunk. And they were throwing a big party and a hoopla. They were having a great time. Why do you think they stopped and did that? Right? It was all about them. They were so proud of themselves. Pat, oh, we, got the best of, we got the best of David. We got the best of the Philistines. Man, this is awesome. What did they think about the men of David and the Philistines? They didn't think they were going to be around. They were all fighting a war. They thought they had days and weeks and maybe even months to sit around in the plunder and to celebrate and go, man, look how awesome we are. They were marauders. And they stopped to celebrate. They were pirates who broke in when no one was watching. And they thought they had all the time in the world to celebrate. Little did they know that David and God had other plans, particularly God. So they were out celebrating. And, and then early the next day, at twilight. Now, twilight in their language can mean at twilight in the morning or at twilight at dusk. So it could be at the beginning of the day as it turns from uh, night to day, or it can be at the end of the day where it turns from day to night. But we believe it was at the morning, which was pretty much a, I mean, that's a pretty standard military thing, particularly for that day and age, to wait until the morning, surprise their people. They have daylight so they can see, and they begin to attack. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. Now that sounds like it means a day and a half, but that doesn't mean a day and a half. When does the day turn over for Israel? The night. So it was from the morning until sundown that they battled, right? So whatever that was, 12 hours, 13 hours, this thing would have been bloody. It would have been hard. This wasn't a, yeah, just go take the candy back from the baby. This wasn't the easy task. 
The mission that God had given David to pursue them and to, to overtake them, which means kill the marauders, and retrieve your stuff and all of your people, when God gave him that mission, God wasn't giving him an easy task. God wasn't saying, hey, yeah, this is easy. Just go handle it. Everything will be okay. I'm with you. This was, this was going to take effort, and it did take effort, and it was hard, and it was strenuous, and it was bloody. But David was able to destroy all of the marauders except 400 of the young men who escaped on the camels. Verse 18, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives, yes, two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. They were so enamored by David and his leadership in this battle. They were saying, take it all. You can have all of this. We'll keep our kids and our wives, but you can have everything else. It's all yours. They went from wanting to kill him to celebrating him. And the only thing that changed was the fact that he strengthened himself in the Lord, pursued God's direction, and was obedient to that mission. And those three things, he went from the lowest low to being exalted, to being someone that they were ready to crown king. Had David, not, had David not taken the time to stop and to inquire of the Lord and to strengthen himself, if he had not sat in that moment and let God do his work in him, had he not been obedient then to the mission that God had given him, we never would have known David as king. He would have just been an angry man with, the, with a tribe of 600 people who ended up wasting his life away in some very rugged and unfriendly territory. But because he was willing to sit, to let God move, then to ask of God, then to be obedient to God's mission and to carry it out in full, everything changed. Everything changed. David comes back, and there's this little incident that happens. The 200 men that were left by the river that couldn't go and fight the Amalekites and win the stuff back were waiting for them when they came back. And David comes back, and he gives them peace. He speaks peace over them. But the other 400 men that were with him, when they were like, they're not getting any of the goodies. They sat here by the river. They didn't do any of the work. We fought for a whole day. We're the ones who got this. They don't deserve anything. But David stepped in and said, no, that's not how this works. This mission was a mission of Lord's. He's the one who gave us the strength to win. It's God, not you, who won the battle. And because of that, all of this is going to be shared equally. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's the Lord's. And we're going to share it equally. We see how God is working in David and changing him from this 
man who's trying to run his own life and do his own thing and live for his own gratification to this guy who gets it. To this man who is totally given over to God. He could have taken all the spoils and been fine, lived happily ever after, but he didn't. He knew there was something bigger. He shared everything because it wasn't his, it was the Lord's. And then he took the extra, because remember, the Amalekites not only had destroyed his home village, but all of these other towns. And he took all of those spoils, and he divided it out among the people of Israel in the southern part of the kingdom. Very brilliant. He went and said, look, this is going to be shared with you. We, my band, won this because God provided it for us. And we're giving it to you because you're part of God's people. And it's his provision for you. David went from the lowest point in his life to the first steps at becoming king. He went from a man doing his own thing to a man totally surrendered and obedient to God's calling. He went from being selfish and gaining as much as he could for himself to sharing all that he had with everybody around him who was part of the people of God. That watershed moment. I don't know about you, but I've had it in my life, that watershed moment, where God changed everything. If you haven't, maybe he's speaking to you. If you have but you've kind of lost that voice. You're not giving God time to to really speak to you. You're not strengthening yourself in the Lord. Maybe you're there, because David gets there, by the way, and you've lost some of that energy and effort that you had when you first started this watershed, this life-changing moment for you. Maybe you need to revisit that life-changing moment and remember what God did and what He's going to do in and through you. I don't know where you are today in your journey with God. I don't know if you're rock bottom or if you've gotten out of the mire, but you've gotten comfortable. If either of those are you, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Hear His voice. He's got a mission for you, and it's a mission from God. When John Wesley left that Bible study that night, everything changed. He had his calling, and he knew exactly what it was going to be. He was going to go to the least of these in in England and preach to people that the church wouldn't allow step into the door. And that's what he did. The rest of his life, he was about reaching the least of these and creating communities that held each other accountable and growing in their faith and sharing what they had with the world around them. And it took hitting rock bottom and realizing that what he was missing was God really moving in his life. What he was missing was himself allowing God to be strengthening him. And everything changed. And from that movement, 
all of England had a revival, and that revival spilled over to the main land of Europe. And from Europe and from England, it spilled over into a young set of colonies that grew into a movement that literally changed the United States, that birthed the two great awakenings. Did you know that? That was from his ministry. It all traces back to a man who hit rock bottom on a boat and realized his life was not what it was supposed to be. I don't know what the end of your story is, but God's got something. Will you listen? We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.